Welcome. It's good to see everybody here uh, this morning, and it's an honor and privilege to open up the Word of God with you. And as we look in it, we just uh, really desire to, uh, to see what the Word says about the topic of our greatest fears. Uh, we're doing a, a, some, uh, a series, God and Our Greatest Fears. It's a 10-week series, and uh, the fear this morning we're going to talk about is the fear of disappointment. And I will say that the fear of disappointment, I was supposed to preach a couple weeks ago, but when I looked at the topic, I'm like, um, I don't know if I can explain that topic because it's so broad. There's so much that goes with it. Um, so I was kind of wondering, well, I might even just kind of skip it and uh, move to even a different topic. But this last week, it was uh, brought up on my mind again and thinking, well, if it's a huge topic, a big topic and a broad topic, maybe it's one that we really need to um, discuss. So we will be discussing it uh, this morning. Number one in our notes, one of our greatest fears is the fear of disappointment. We live in a world where we um, live disappointed, disappointed with others, disappointed with ourselves, often even disappointed with God, disappointed with a world that we live in. Our world is just not going the way that it's supposed to, disappointed with people that we love the most. So as you can see, the topic is very broad, is very large, and how do we narrow it um, into a point of where God says, this is how you can overcome disappointment. I will say that is what I've been struggling with. But as we've kind of thought about it, meditated on it, uh, what is God doing with that subject? And how does God want to cure and heal our disappointment? And uh, as we continue to study and look at the Word of God, um, the whole Bible is about a God who wants to cure disappointment who wants to heal disappointment, who wants to set you free from disappointment, whether that's disappointing from ourselves, disappointment from others. The whole theme of the Bible is I have come to even wash out disappointment. So just looking at this, let's just start with number two. The way you view your relationship with God will determine how you deal with your feelings on disappointment to God and others. This is the center theme of how God is going to conquer disappointment in our lives. Now, if you look at uh, our relationships, there's a lot of different relationships that are out there. There's an intimate relationship. Uh, Intimate relationship is completely known, completely known physically, completely known emotionally. Uh, God designed marriage to have intimate relationships, Um, but you're only supposed to have it with one person. That's what intimate relationship is. Uh, there's also another forms of relationship, family relationships, uh, children relationships. Well, what's that relationship about? That relationship is a connection that is deeper than a connection as in a sense of my connection with my daughters is deeper than my connection with, with you. No offense or anything, but my connection with my daughters is, is, is different. So it's uh, another sphere where it's a smaller sphere of, of influence, but God has given us children, and as he has given us children, Uh, There's a connection there that is different than most. There's also business relationships, Um, many, many business relationships that are out there. We just had a sportsman show, and uh, during the sportsman show, we have 136 vendors. And their goal for the morning was to, um, for the last weekend, was to necessarily make money, um, just in a sense, as people are coming in. Um, yes, they see Jefferson Baptist at the front, but also they're going to all these booths. But they're there to at least make a profit. Uh, it's a business relationship. If business is good, they'll be back next year. If business is bad, they might not be back next year. 
Um, is that relationship a, a bad relationship? No, it's not a bad relationship. It's a, it's a business relationship that we have to have um, with many people that we're with. Friendship relationship is definitely different than a business relationship. Business relationship says, you give me this, I will give you this. A friendship relationship is we are connected in life, walking together. See the dynamics of relationship? Coworker relationships, they're um, different. So when we look at all these different relationships, um, what relationship would God fall in the category of? Like an intimate relationship? A father-son relationship? Would God go into the category of a business relationship? Wherever we view God in the category of relationship will give us the answers if we are going to live a life of disappointment or not. Let's look at some of the relationships that we should not view God as. Number three, many relate to God as an employer. An employer says, God, you give me this and I will give you this. If, uh, if I go to church on a consistent basis, um, I am assuming that I will be happy. And if I'm not happy, then I'm not going to go to church anymore. God, I used to love you, but now as I watch death take place in my life, and I watch evil take place, you know, God, I'm starting to question you a little bit. In other words, my relationship with you is kind of on the rocks because I'm, uh, uh, I'm giving, but you're not giving back. Now, is this a relationship that you can live in and not be disappointed in your life? This is a relationship that you will have much um, uh, emotional up and down. You're happy with God when things are good. You're sad with God when things are going back. See how you approach God in regards to relationship will tell, um, tell you if you're going to be disappointed or not. Another relationship that is not healthy that many people approach God as is many relate to God as a slave. He is uh, um, the master, and I am his servant. Um, if you ever look at a slave, do you think that you can find uh, oppression take place? Uh, if you look at God as a slave, you will live a life completely and entirely of oppression. God has demands, and I better meet them. If I do not meet them, I will be what? Cast out, thrown away. So what are you doing? You're living a life of fear. You're living a life of anxiety. You're living a life that is completely and consistently based on performance, and that's what your relationship with God is. If I can perform, God loves me. If I don't perform, my relationship with God is on the rocks, and I'm a little scared that my relationship with God might be removed. If we have fears like this, uh, we are approaching God in a relationship that I don't think he really wants us to approach him with. Slaves are always afraid of being cast out. Slaves are always afraid of being removed. Slaves are always afraid of being thrown away. Is that how we approach God? Went to the Banana Island last year in Sierra Leone. In Sierra Leone, uh, the Banana Island is an island where they um, took the slave trade and pulled people from, pulled Africans from Sierra Leone to, to America. And uh, we toured the island, and as you tour the island, they still have things in place during the slave trade, like the cannons are still in place. I mean, they're extremely old, but uh, they're still in place. The lanterns are still in place. The church that took place during the slave trade is still in place. And then they took you to one place that um, was a place of, of extreme sorrow and anguish. And it was a place where there was a pit. And you can still see the rock structure, but it's full of, uh, full of dirt. 
But in that rock structure, if a slave was unhealthy, then they were not good enough for them. So what they do, they just throw them in the hole until they died. And after they died, they just pulled them out and threw them into the sea. A slave is only worth something as long as he's strong, as long as he can work, as long as he's good. But if a slave cannot do it, then they're no longer good. Many people approach God. God, I am your slave. Would you live a life of disappointment if you viewed God as I am your slave and you are the master? You tell me and hopefully I can survive under this pressure. I don't think God is asking us to approach him as a slave. Another area of people approaching God and relate to God is is a business deal. Many people relate to God as a one-time business deal. I'm a person that is depressed, oppressed. I do not want to feel disappointed. So what I need to do is I need to um, ask God in my heart, and then if I do that, I can do whatever I want. And uh, God, please come in my heart. Now I get to go to heaven. Now I get to do whatever I want. And then we completely emotionally separate ourselves from God. It is a life where you don't necessarily feel disappointed um, because God is not in your view at all. But the sad part about that is that... uh, as you live a life not feeling disappointed, and you die and stand before God, is God going to say the words, I never knew you, depart from me, you cursed one? There's a relationship that must take place, and what we try to do is, I don't want to feel disappointed, so I'll just say, oh, God is a, almost a slot machine that I'll just you know, put my money in, get money out, and hopefully um, be done, and I'll be in heaven, and I can do whatever I want. God doesn't want us to approach us as a business deal, something that we purchase, something we buy, and then something we get because we purchased it. So all these relationships are out there, and we approach God in all these relationships. How does God want us to approach him? How does God want us to approach him where we don't feel necessarily disappointed in ourselves, where we don't feel disappointed in our relationship with God, where we don't feel disappointed in people's performance even on us. According to Scripture, this is how God wants us to approach Him. Number six, we should be relating to God as sons and daughters. All the way through Scripture, we see that we are adopted into the family of God. Being adopted into the family of God means that we are treated as biological children. We are loved as if we were always His children, We even own part of God's estate in a sense that He is our Father and what He has is ours in regards to even an eternity in heaven. Romans 8, 15 consistently talks about this. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Now you notice that it's not just Father, Abba means, according to Aramaic, and it's an Aramaic word for, for daddy. In other words, it's a father who carries your emotion, a father who carries your heart, a father who carries your love, a father that is connected so close to you that the connection is strong. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, God sent his son, born of woman, so that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into, the, into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, again, the word, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, 
God has made you also an heir. You see the connection that God is asking us to connect with? I am going to adopt you, not as a slave. I'm going to adopt you, not as an employer. I'm going to adopt you, not as a business deal. I want to adopt you, and I will be your father, and you will be my son. This took place before creation even happened. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So let's look at the the concept of of sons and daughters. Number seven, sons and daughters relate to their father with freedom, with position, acceptance, and also security. I have a drawer. My bathroom drawer is probably the most important drawer in my house. And the reason why is because I look in the drawer every single day. The reason why I look into it every single day is because it has my toothbrush in there, and that's twice a day. It also has my shaver in there. It has all my important items has toothpaste in there, has my, my best nail clippers that I have in there. Um, since it is such an important drawer, things that are important to me are off also in there. My, my multi-purpose pocket knife is, is in there. And I also have some tools that are just good, good tools that I always keep, even nuggets, that I keep them uh, in, there, in there as well. There's a time that I even had my passport in there for like six months because I knew I needed it because I was going to go there. So that drawer is, is completely full because it's a very, very important drawer. I'm often not home in the morning. Um, I'm usually out at the gym or here at church, and my daughters come and they use my sink and they use my mirror, and they also have used my drawer. My drawer also has makeup in there. My drawer has hair ponies in there. My drawer has brushes in there. What do you f- why do they think they have the right to use my drawer? The reason why is because I think they look at me and it's like, well, he's dad. He's, he's father. I have the freedom to be able to do this. So they just ad- adopt that freedom. And what? They're comfortable with that. And then I, as a father, am comfortable with it as well. There's a freedom when you have a, a father-son or father-daughter relationship. There's also um, a position. I went to a prayer summit last week. I was gone for three days. And my daughters think, oh, dad's gone. I'm going to go hop in his bed and sleep on his side of the bed with my wife. What gives them the freedom to do that? Well, because, because you're dad. And dad is gone, so I can take his bed. No big deal. And they don't even ask. They just, they just do it. Hebrews 4, 16 says this. Therefore, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne room of grace. I am a holy God. You should look at me, and you should be completely disappointed with yourself. But what I've done is I have come, died, rose again, and made a connection that is a father-son, made a connection that is a father-daughter. Therefore, when you approach me, I want you to approach me with this much freedom. Approach me as if I am your father. Walk into my presence as if I am your father. When Jesus died, the Holy of Holies is a place that you do not want to go into because it is the majesty of where God's presence is. But when he died, the temple veil was completely torn and we have complete entire access to God through prayer as a result of what Christ has done. Father gives complete acceptance. It's not a relationship where you, you perform, 
you will get it. And if you don't perform, you're going to be cast out. No, it's complete acceptance that my performance doesn't determine my relationship with God. Because I am adopted by Him, there's a love that is so connected that no matter what I do, what takes place, I can still go back to Him and be connected as a father and son is connected. My relationship with my daughters is not based on performance. And our relationship with God, I believe, is not supposed to be based on performance, but based completely and entirely on love. Security. I will not be your son one day and not your um, son the next day because you're not behaving. There's security in the relationships. Sons are emotionally stable because a son knows that when he has done something well, that is a re- that's not the reason to be accepted. When he's done something well, he just done it just so he can please the father, but he's not trying to do it to buy the father's love. When things go poorly, he's not afraid of being rejected. He's not saying, well, I've done something wrong. My father will never receive me again. No, I've done something wrong. I need to find help inside of my father. Is this a life of disappointment that we should live? If we are supposed to look at God and say, our relationship with you, God, is a father, ultimate perfect father, and I am what? A son? Number eight, sons and daughters relate to their fathers with admiration, love, respect, and fear of discipline. My father-in-law and I have always had a a great relationship, and we had a great relationship before I even um, married his daughter. And there's only one time that I could not talk to my father-in-law, and uh, that is when I walked into his shop and he was working on a car. And as he's working on a car, I needed to say the words, can I marry your daughter? And for some reason, I could not say those words. <laughs> I don't know if they were just too thick in my heart. And, and I think he even knew what I was trying to say. And he even tried to fill in the gaps of saying, it's all right, you can continue to talk, don't worry, <laughs> you know, it's no big deal. But he had to walk me through the question, can I marry your daughter? In a sense that those words were so thick I admire him, I admire his wife, I admire his daughter, and I was asking to be embraced into his family. There was a heavy sense of admiration that was there, a heavy sense of admiration, a huge sense of love. I love God because he loves me. How much does he love me? He laid down his life for me, laying down his life for me, and what do I do for God? Ah, there's a thickness there that says, God, you have given me so much. What have I given you? And God looks at me and says, don't be disappointed. Keep on coming. Keep on living. Keep on staying connected. I've given you more than you've ever given me, but that's okay. You keep moving with this relationship. There's also a a deep sense of respect I worship God. Why? Because I adore Him. I respect Him. I honor Him because He is not only Father, but God and King. Also, a fear of sin. God does not want me to go astray. God does not want me to go away from Him. So what does a father do? A father makes sure that he puts boundaries around me and protects me from Uh, moving away from him. Protect me from the sin that wants to destroy my family. Protect me from the sin that wants to ruin my life. So what does he do as a father? He does what every father would do. He disciplines us. Why? For the purpose of making us healthy, 
for the purpose of making us strong, for the purpose of walking a path that will bring us life rather than walking a path that will bring us death. Hebrews 12, 4. Have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Father, the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son who he receives. It is for the discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom is a father? For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are not even his son, you are an illegitimate child. Every father would embrace his son in discipline because he does not want his sons or daughters to be hurt. Discipline is part of a father, a father's love expressed to us. Number nine. You feel di- uh, now, this is kind of looking at the, the appointments of disappointment, how to get over it. If you feel like God is disappointed in you, it is not only for the purpose of drawing you back. This is the reason he'd be disappointed in you. What is disappointment? Let's just go for what it is not. Disappointment is not rejection. Disappointment is not anger. Disappointment is not hate. Disappointment is not a, necessarily even a lack of love. What disappointment is, is that you do not feel like you measure up. You do not feel like you are a person who measures up. Should we feel disappointed when it comes to our relationship with God? Do we feel like we measure up when we look at Jesus? We should feel like we don't measure up. Why? Because Jesus is perfect. If Jesus is perfect, absolutely perfect, and we think we measure up, uh, we're um, having a horrific sin that takes place. When we look at Jesus, we should feel automatically even defeated, automatically even disappointed. But does God want us to stay that way? No, this is where the gospel comes in. This is where the salvation message comes in, where Jesus says, I am perfect and you are not. Therefore, I will live a perfect life move to the cross and die in your stead and raise again and live connected with you as a father or son. Therefore, our relationship is not dependent on what you can do for me. Our relationship is dependent on what I have already done for you. So just take me as your father and walk with me as father and son. So when we look at Jesus, we should feel automatically disappointed But when we look at what Jesus has done, we should feel a freedom of going to the throne room of grace, not because of what we can do for him, but what he has done for us. You see the message that sets us free from disappointment? You see a message that sets us free and given us life? 2 Corinthians 7.10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to where? To salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. God's looking at our hearts. God's looking at our mind. God is looking at us. And he is saying, do not be disappointed in our relationship. You should be because of the sense of what you've done. But what I've done wiped out everything that you have done. Therefore, do not be disappointed because my 
death was sufficient for you, and our relationship is now father and son. Number 10, if you feel people are disappointed in you, remember you are not the one you're trying to impress. You're not the one you're trying to impress. One statement that our, our family just consistently makes, and it's a, assistance, a statement that is just kind of uh, just comes out of her mouth is, know your family loves you. Where does that statement come from? Um, I have an intense job where um, I work a lot, and, and being in public, um, being in a public ministry, it can kind of be weighing on the heart. And my wife looks at me and says, don't worry, know your family loves you. So if everybody hates you in the world, don't worry, know your family loves you to in the sense of being, survive, sense of being able to survive. And my wife also has a very intense job. Uh, she's a principal in a school. She has 60 employees that work underneath her, 720 students, a whole bunch of family. And uh, her job, she'll come home and tell stories, and I'm like, boy, that does not sound like um, a school. That sounds more like a, you know, something that is um, uh, an institution that is aggressive, where you need body armor um, in regards to what's taking place, emotional armor as you are being cussed out on almost even a regular basis. So the words... Don't, don't worry, always know your family loves you, are almost words that we just send each other out of the house with. And the reason why is because if the whole world starts to fall down around you, don't worry, it's all right, your family loves you, no big deal, hang on to that. Because as long as your family loves you, it seems like you'd be able to survive almost, um, almost anything. And of course, that has been tested in the times that, you know, if my wife and I have an argument or even a disagreement we both know that that argument has to stop really, really fast because we can't even function in our jobs if the argument comes and the family is being pulled down. So we have the words, know that your family loves you. What about the words, know that your God loves you? Should that be on the forefront of our minds consistently? How powerful is that? It's powerful when you say family, but what about know that God loves you? And if you know that God loves you, your whole world can collapse, and yet love will not be taken away. Things could shatter, things could go under, but don't worry, God loves me. Galatians 1.10, for I am now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I was trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartedly as to the Lord rather than to men because I believe you will leave completely disappointed if you don't. 1 Thessalonians 2, we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. 1 Thessalonians 2, we were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. You see what God is saying as your father? He's saying, I am your father. I am connected with you. It is not going to be easy in this world. You will disappoint others. Others will disappoint you. But who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to please? Make sure it's me. Number 11, if you feel like you're disappointing to yourself, remember who your father is. One of my goals, and it's not a goal that I really necessarily enjoy, it's a goal that D has placed on me. Pastor D has placed on me and says, this is what you need to do every week. You need to listen to your sermon. And uh, I'll tell you, it's not easy listening to yourself. And uh, it haunts me, it scares me, and I think, oh boy, this is horrible. And the reason why is because we are our most worst 
critics. Uh, we look at ourselves and criticize ourselves more than anything else. When we look at the mirror, what do we think about? Oh, I just cannot believe this. Nobody else sees it, but it seems like we see it. When we struggle to accomplish something, we are critical of ourselves. But when you stand in front of the mirror, what should you say? I am a child of God, made perfect in His sight because of what He has done for me. How powerful is that? When you feel like you're struggling to accomplish anything, think of the words, I am a child of God, one that God would die for. I am a child of God. When you feel unlovable, what should you say? I am a child of God. When you fail, remember that you are a child of God. When you preach a sermon and you think, oh boy, now I have to listen to myself, think, I am a child of God proclaiming his message. What does that mean? Is that a statement that we should live disappointed in ourselves? A statement that we should live disappointed of what other people give to us or not give to us? A statement of, God, you are disappointed with me, so therefore I cannot approach you, I cannot respond to you, I cannot connect it with you. You see, the whole message of the Bible is to set us free from disappointment. Why? Because of the specific thing that we have been adopted into the family of God, and we are heirs, and we are His children. Should we live a life of disappointment? That one statement that we are adopted should set us free from disappointment as we have been embraced by a God who is so large, who is so big, who has created the entire world, yet calls us his children, calls us his sons, and calls us his daughters. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, God, for um, the gift of your son, uh, God, we can live a, a, a life, God, of, of no disappointment, God, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. Thank you, God, for that freedom. God, disappointment wears us out, God, and you have chosen to give us something where it can be wiped away, and I just pray that we take full advantage of it, knowing that we are your children and knowing that we are heirs to your kingdom. Thank you so much, God, for that gift. In Christ's name, amen.